Good morning. I want you to take your Bibles, your apps, whatever you may read on, and I want you to turn, as we've been in for the last few weeks, the book of 1 John. 1 John, I, I get it, may be kind of hard to find, 1 John, considering there are 66 books in this library that we call a Bible. Uh, so if you were to ask me how to find 1 John, here's what I would tell you. If you're in a, a physical Bible, I would encourage you to go to the table of contents. Uh, there you're going to find that the Bible has two main sections to it, the Old Testament and the New Testament. 1 John is at the very end of the entire Bible. It's five books from the back. Uh, so, so find that table of contents, go to the last set, uh, the New Testament, uh, and then from the very end, from the last book of Revelation, go five books up and you'll hit First John. Go to that page number and that's where you want to be this morning. If you're in an app, again, pull down the list of the books of the Bible and five books from the end of that list is First John. So First John chapter 4 is where we're actually going to be today. First John chapter 4. Now, when I was a kid, we ate a lot of cereal in my house, like Cheerios and Chex and, and those kinds of things. Those were a, a staple uh, in, in my home. And one day I sat down to eat my bowl of Cheerios and I took my first bite and recognized immediately that something was off. My heart sunk. I, a tear came out of my eye. My mom had bought the generic Cheerios. You know, the one that comes in the bag and, and the name looks kind of like Cheerios, but it's not Cheerios. It's Cheer-O's. Now, don't get me wrong. I have nothing against generic brand. My, my, my family buys a lot of generic items. But please hear me, there are certain foods you do not buy generic. And Cheerios is one of those. I took that first bite of Cheerios and it tasted different. Like there is a very distinct flavor to Cheerios. There's that oaty, like, like grainy, like you, you taste the grains and the oats in it. And then you get punched with a little bit of the, the sweetness that's there. Clearly, I'm a connoisseur of cereals. But, but Cheerios, one of the, the most valuable assets that you find in, in name brand Cheerios is they maintain their crunchiness after they've been in milk for a little while. You people that eat soggy cereal, I don't know what's wrong with you. Cheerios, when you bite that, when you put it in your mouth, it's supposed to crunch a little bit. It's not supposed to just mush and dissolve. That's gross. But generic Cheerios, that's what they do. You pour the milk, they almost immediately start to dissolve. And it was hard to eat through that. We had to finish the bag of cheery, cheer O's. We had to finish that bag before mom would go and buy a box of real Cheerios. And it was torture for a week and a half getting through that bag of generic Cheerios. You know, it, it was difficult. What, think to yourself, you've got items in your pantry that you absolutely will not buy generic, right? There are certain foods you do not get the generic brand because it's not the same. It, it's not right. 
It's unholy in many ways. <laughs> Christianity is much the same. There are a lot of generics out there. There are a lot of things that are packaged just like Christianity, just like the church. But, but there's just one little thing that's not right. There might be one little belief or one little tendency that, that doesn't make it quite right according to this, according to this library that we call a Bible. And John talks about this. And just FYI, if you were to go and do like a Google search or a Bible search for phrases like false prophets, false teachers, false teachings, things like that, you're going to come up with a list of passages that would take you a week to get through. Every New Testament book warns about false teachings. Did you know that? Every book of the New Testament warns against false beliefs, false teachers, false prophets. And John kind of spends extensive amount of time in 1 John talking about this topic. And so we need to pay attention. We need to look for those things that look a lot like the, the, the real thing. They're packaged right, they sound right, they use the right words. But there's something that's kind of off. It's not quite right. And John warns us about that. So, so let's take our Bibles or our apps. Let's turn to that passage I told you to look at. John, uh, 1 John chapter 4. Chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 1. Now, we've done this every week, but let me give you some background as you're looking up chapter 4, verse 1 in 1 John. John is one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. Uh, after Jesus dies and, and rises from the grave and ascends into heaven, they get renamed in the Bible the apostles. So disciples, uh, a disciple uh, in Greek meant someone who was a student of someone. So they were students of Jesus. When Jesus dies, rises from the grave, and ascends into heaven, they get called apostles. The Greek word apostolos means one who is sent out. So, so they become, go from being students to those that Jesus had sent out into the world to teach the world about him. John is the last remaining of the apostles. And he writes this letter later on in his life. And he, he's instructing churches uh, on, on what to look for, what to believe, what to think. And look at what he says in chapter 4, verse 1. He says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Now, now let me stop right there. Antichrist was a big general term that John used. When John uses the word Antichrist, he's talking about anyone who is against the faith that Jesus teaches uh, if you want 
to unpack that a little more, go back to chapter two. He actually talks about how there are many antichrists in the world when he's writing this letter and that you need to be careful of all those antichrists, all of those ones who are opposed to what Jesus taught and called his church to believe and be. Okay, so let's, let's pick back up. Pick up with me in verse four. Little children... You are from God and have overcome them. Talking about the Antichrist. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Verse 5. They are from the world. Therefore they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So, so he's talking about testing the spirits. There's a, a church term that we use a lot, and it, it's a common English word. We just don't use it much outside of church world. Uh, and that term is discernment. John is encouraging us, is telling us to approach everything with discernment. To, to test everything that comes across. So there's a quote on the screen behind me. Uh, this is Charles Spurgeon, a great pastor from Britain, uh, a great theologian. He says, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It is knowing the difference between right and almost right. This is my big idea for today. This is a statement that I want you to write down or look up or whatever. And I want you to think about it this week. Because everything that John encountered and the apostles in general encountered, every what we call heresy, every wrong belief system that looked a lot like Christianity was just that. It sounded a lot like Christianity but there was maybe one or two things that were off just a little bit. It looked really right, but it wasn't quite right. It was almost right. Discernment is recognizing the difference between what is right and what is almost right. And we, as the followers of Jesus, we need to be careful for what we see out in the world that is almost right. Jesus doesn't call us to be almost right. He doesn't call us to almost believe everything he teaches. Jesus calls us to believe everything that he teaches. And that involves discernment. So, what out there do we need to test to, to discern? Throw that next graph, that next set of words on the screen. I want to give you three things this morning that I think we as followers of Jesus should cautiously make sure is right, not almost right. The first thing is we need to test the, the things that we want. Secondly, we need to test the person delivering the message. And thirdly, we need to test the truthfulness of the message itself. So let, let's look at the first thing. We need to test the things that we want. You see, discernment is the ability to see the things for what they really are and not what, they, what we want them to be. A, a lot of times we get distracted from the truth because 
the thing that's almost right, the thing that is close but not quite right, we listen to it because it's kind of what we actually want deep down inside. It sounds really good to us or it aligns with something that we really want for our lives and so we listen to it even though it's not fully in line with this, with God's word. And so we must test the things that we want. So go back to 1 John chapter 2. I'll put it up on the screen. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. It says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Did you catch that middle section? It's verse 16. The desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. Sometimes the things that, that, are, that we're hearing or, 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 or being, trying to be convinced of that aren't, isn't quite right, that's almost right. Sometimes those things appeal to the desires of our flesh or the desires of our eyes or the pride that we have in our life. And so because it's something that appeals to us, we get drawn into it. Even if it's wrong, even if it's not almost right, or even if it's almost right, not quite right, we get pulled in because we actually do desire it. We actually do long for whatever it is that we're being sold on that's, that's not truly biblical. Sometimes we need to discern what is in our own minds and hearts. Sometimes discernment begins right here and right here. Sometimes it begins with what are the things that I really want that would make me feel good that's not in alignment with God's word? What do I need to change in my thinking and in my desires, in my heart, so that my thinking aligns more closely with God's thinking. Let me give you some examples. We innately as human beings, we desire to be safe and comfortable, right? And there's nothing wrong with safe and comfort. Please don't misunderstand me. But when we value our safety and our comfort more than the call of Jesus in our lives, in other words, we value our safety and comfort so much that we're not telling people about Jesus or inviting them to church. We're not going and sacrificing our time by, by serving him in, in ministry and in the work of the church. Then that safety and comfort, while it sounds really good to our heart and our mind, it's now become something that's not quite right in the eyes of the Lord. It's off just a little bit because safety and comfort sound good, don't they? They sound right, but is God's primary concern for you to keep you safe and comfortable? Is that what following Jesus is about? Is that the guarantee? When you came to know Jesus, were you told if you believe in Jesus, you'll be safe and you'll be comfortable for the rest of your life? Is that what you were told? 
if somebody told you that they're a liar and they were trying to sell you something. Because nowhere in God's word does Jesus say that safety and comfort are a byproduct of faith. Spiritual safety is guaranteed, but physical safety actually is never guaranteed. The contrast is that Jesus guarantees that if we follow Jesus, we will be persecuted. But we value our safety and comfort so much, it seems right, it feels right, that we get distracted by it. Let me give you another example. We tend to agree with those who say things that we already believe or we already want to believe. You know, we, we turn on the news or, or we listen to, to, to some preacher somewhere and he's, he, the news or this preacher is, is selling us on something and you go, you know what? I would actually really like that. But again, do those desires, that want that we have in our lives, does it align with God's word? Okay, so again, the three things to discern. Test the things we want, test the person delivering the message, and test the truthfulness of the message. Let's look at that second one. Test the person delivering the message. When, when you're looking at someone who claims to be a Christian teacher, does their lifestyle align with God's word. Now, I'm not saying that they have to be perfect. Please don't misunderstand me. What I'm saying is, is that they are striving to live their life according to God's word. But let me give you an example. Let's say you didn't know me and one day I showed up at your house, knock on your door. I'm a salesman. And you open the door and I say, buddy, have I got a deal for you. I'm I've got a guaranteed hair growth product. And I look at you and I say, now you can't tell just by looking at me from five feet away, but if you look really, really close, right here, there's a hair. And that hair, I'm pretty sure, was not there three months ago. But I started taking this hair growth product and I've got one hair right there. Now let me ask you something. Would you be convinced? <laughs> I'm not exactly a poster child for hair growth products, am I? My message may be one thing, but the evidence says something completely different, doesn't it? The evidence of my life should align with the message that I claim to teach. So the Bible has a lot to say about this. Let me give you a few passages. Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. It says, beware of false prophets. This is Jesus himself speaking. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or grapes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but a diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits." So, so Jesus makes the argument here that you will recognize 
the false teachers by the fruit that their life produces, okay? So what fruit are we talking about? Paul makes this a little clearer in 1 Timothy. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, it says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teachings that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Now stop there for just a second. The first fruit that we're to be looking for is that the teaching that whoever we're listening to aligns with this book. If the things that they're teaching don't align with this, then we probably should listen to them, right? But look at what else Paul says about this. About midway through, he says, this person, the false teacher, he has an unhealthy craving for controversies. And for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and, and constant friction amongst the people who are depraved in mind and depraved, deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Basically, if you see someone who is promoting the things that Paul mentions in the last half of this passage, then maybe we shouldn't be paying attention to that person. Do they crave controversy? Do they, they look for fights and quarrels? Do the words, the, the things they say, do they produce envy and dissension and slander and evil suspicions and constant friction? If that is what that person produces, we shouldn't be listening to them controversies, endless controversies have no place in God's word and in his church. We've got the truth. We don't need controversy. We know exactly what God's word tells us. The fruit that a person produces, according to Paul, is going to be twofold. It's going to be the, what they teach. Does it align with God's word? And does the person that you're listening to produce just fighting all the time and controversy constantly. Guys, if you're around somebody who claims to be a Christian and all they do is talk about the latest controversy and all they do is complain and all they do is get you riled up about something, guys, I've got to be honest, that person is not spiritually healthy for you. Paul makes that black and white clear. There is no other way to interpret this passage. So be cautious of who you're listening to. Examine the fruit that they produce. A couple more passages before we go into the third point. Matthew 24, verse 24. Again, this is Jesus speaking. He says, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect, those, those who are saved. Guys, let's be honest, there are a lot of false teachers out there that look very Christian and they sound really Christian. Paul clarifies this in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13 through 15, he says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, and catch this part, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants 
also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will just correspond with their deeds. Guys, it doesn't matter how good something looks. And I've heard the argument, well, well, you know, a lot of people are following Jesus because of this individual. That's been said about countless false teachers and false prophets in this world. They may claim to lead people to Jesus, but if their teaching does not align with this and their life does not align with this, they're still a false teacher. They're going to come looking very Christian. They may even perform miraculous signs. That does not guarantee that they are from Jesus. And we must be cautious about those those types of people. So, So the three things that we must test, we've got to test the things we want, test the person delivering the message, and then lastly, test the truthfulness of the message itself. So, so take your Bible and look with me again at 1 John 4. I want to focus on verse 2. It's the passage we were, we were in from the beginning, John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 2. It says this, John says, by this you know the Spirit of God. So he's talking about the Spirit, the messages sent by God. By this you'll know the Spirit of God. For many, uh, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now, that word confesses. When I hear the word confess, I think of someone just saying Jesus came from God. And that's easy to say, right? But the word, the original word here in 1 John 4, 2 is not... It doesn't hold the connotation of somebody that just says that they believe Jesus is from God and that Jesus rose from the grave. The Greek word there actually has a connotation of, uh, it, it was used to, to mean uh, to say the same thing. It, it's a verb and it's, it had a connotation that uh, to, not to confess but to fully agree with something that someone said. Does that make sense? Uh, Let me reread chapter four, verse two, with that understanding. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that is in complete agreement that Jesus Christ has come in flesh is from God. It's not someone who just says that Jesus came from God. It's someone who agrees completely with everything that Jesus taught about Jesus coming from God. Let's look at John, the way John uses it in chapter two. Go back to chapter two, one page over. Look with me in chapter two, verse 23. Chapter two, verse 23. He uses this same word. It says, no one who denies the son has the father, but whoever confesses the son has the father also. So think about it this way. Verse 23, when we kind of unpack this Greek word, would actually say no one who denies the son has the father. Whoever fully agrees, fully sets, uh, says the same thing as Jesus has the father also. It's not someone who just says Jesus or says they believe in Jesus. It's someone who fully believes who, who, who says the same thing as Jesus. That is who is from the Father. So we've got to look for those things that look really close to Christianity but aren't quite Christianity. 
I don't know if this is true, but I've always been told that when FBI agents are trained to recognize counterfeit uh, dollars, counterfeit money, that they're taught how to recognize counterfeits by learning the real thing intimately. They'll study a $20 bill to where they know that $20 bill in and out. They know every line and every curve and every number and, and every little detail so that when they see a counterfeit, they can look at some of the details and go, oh wait, this detail right here in this corner doesn't, it's not right. So it's a counterfeit. I, again, I don't know if that's true, but it, it aligns with what I'm trying to tell you today. If we know this book really well, then we can recognize that counterfeit Christianity. That, that those teachings or those teachers that are not right, but almost right. Remember what C uh, Charles Spurgeon said? Discernment is recognizing the difference between what's right and what's almost right. There are counterfeits out there. Counterfeit messages. They sound so close. They sound so right, but they're just a little off. And if we know this book front and back, if we study God's word, we can recognize the counterfeits. Just like an FBI agent recognizing a counterfeit $20 bill. So what do we do with something or someone who is tested false? If we are studying about someone and we go, oh, their teaching here does not align with God's word. Or, or their lifestyle is what Paul warned us about. What do we do with that teaching or that person? And, and this is the hard part. The Bible's pretty clear. There's not much wiggle room here in what God's word says. If we recognize that someone is a counterfeit or they're a false teacher, the Bible says that we should not have anything to do with them. Don't listen to a word they have to say. Where am I getting that? Deuteronomy chapter 13 and chapter 18 talks extensively about false prophets. And if you go read, I encourage you, go read Deuteronomy 13 and Deuteronomy 18, both those chapters. And in both those chapters, they make it clear that if they don't point you to Jesus, if they don't point you to God, then that person is false. If they're encouraging you to chase after anything worldly or anything uh, idolatrous, they're false. And then both of those chapters tell us that if they are found to be false and the, the Jewish teachers of this time of the Old Testament wrote extensively on if a, if a prophet came claiming to be from God and he said 500 prophecies and only one of them did not come true, but 499 did come true, that person is false. And a false prophet, hard part here, Old Testament, remember this is Old Testament, was to be taken outside the city walls and stoned. Even if one prophecy did not come to pass. But, but wait, they've done so much good. They've just got this one thing. Doesn't matter. If they've got one thing that is not in a line with this, we're not supposed to be having anything to do with them. 
Don't listen to anything that they're teaching. Second Timothy, this is Paul talking. Second Timothy chapter four, verses three and four. Paul says this, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now leave that passage up there. I have always, being, a, being in the Southern Baptist Convention, which is very theologically conservative, I've always heard this passage interpreted as, yeah, there are going to be people who are going to sway you away from true Christianity into like a, a liberal form of Christianity, a leftist form of Christianity. But guys, there is a dangerous form of this warning in this church and in every Southern Baptist church in the country. You see, even amongst those of us who have very conservative beliefs, we believe this Bible is, is authoritative, inerrant, infallible. And we believe that Jesus is the only way to find salvation and that every single person ever born on the planet except for Jesus himself needs this salvation even those of us who have very strong biblical beliefs, we do have a tendency to have our ears itched, as Paul puts it. We have a tendency to really value that newscaster that we listen to or that politician that we really like. And they may have a lot of things right but in reality, they've got a few things that are wrong. And we must not look at this verse. Here's what, I'm, here's what I'm encouraging you today. Don't look at this verse and point to others. Look inwardly and ask the Holy Spirit, what are the ways that I want my ears itched? What are those things that I hear in the world around me that sound really close to Christianity and I really like it because it itches my ears and it makes me feel good? It confirms what I value, even if that value is not found here. How am I allowing my ears to be itched? And Lord, if I'm allowing my ears to be itched by someone, Help me to stop listening to that person. We all, please hear me, we all have someone, a podcaster, a YouTuber, a, a newscaster, a person that we really look up to, that we look up to them because we like what they say. And we can like what they say as long as it aligns with this. Don't look at this passage and point the finger at other people. Look at this passage and say, how am I guilty of this? Guys, I ask myself this all the time. I'm a big, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh, if you see me driving through a neighborhood, there's a 98% chance, unless my boys are with me, there's a 98% chance I'm listening to some podcaster. Now, most of them are guys that take this Bible and they just teach it and they're great they're awesome but guys there are some people that I've listened to over the years and I've come to a place where I've gone oh ah 
I really like listening to this person and I'm recognizing the reason I really like listening to this person is because they're just confirming everything I want to hear. And a lot of those people I've had to stop listening to. How are you allowing your ears to be itched? Who is it that you're allowing to influence you that you need to stop allowing them to influence you?